0: Well, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're finishing up that chapter today as we launched last week uh, looking into the spiritual gifts. We're in the series, uh, Counterculture, and in many ways the spiritual gifts are just that. They're countercultural. People in the unbelieving world don't possess spiritual gifts because they don't have the Spirit of God. And so what is God saying to the church about these gifts, these spiritual gifts? And I'll remind us again that... um, We've been meeting as uh, a church body, uh, ages middle school and up, 9.15 for Sunday school. And the two uh, kind of teaching times go hand in hand. We did some group stuff this morning. Uh, So if you've missed that, it's online, but catch up with that and be here uh, over the next several weeks to to journey through that as well. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to pick up in verse 14, or read through the end of the chapter in verse 31, and then we'll ask God to speak to our hearts today about this. and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers. Do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I, show, and I will show you a still more excellent way. I want to pray, but I want to do that through our affirmation this morning, that as we look to God's Word and we look through the the spiritual gifts that we would trust in the Spirit to open our eyes. So there is a well-known line from the famous short poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley that I'm sure many of us will recognize. And it says this, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. You see, that expresses the heart of fallen man and his, or our, should I say, great desire to be our own God. That's what that statement says. Such philosophy is Satan's philosophy and the opposite of God's will for man. The idea that we are self-sufficient is not in God's design as it relates to knowing Him and as it relates to knowing others and being in relationship with one another. So many of you that know this about me, that I love baseball. I love uh, watching baseball, and I love playing baseball, and I love the Chicago Cubs. I'm just saying. I just wanted to throw that in. But I love baseball, and I I love watching it, love playing it, and some of you might just sit and think, baseball, oh, it's so boring, and well... I don't even know how you watch that. And, and here's what I would say. I would say that, that you, I, I just, I don't, actually, never mind. I don't want to offend you because I just think that people that are um, a little, uh, I don't know, wiser watch baseball. But anyways, but that's because of all the rules and, and there's small caveats about the game that, that are just interesting. And, and really, I, I mean this, it's one of those sports that really you cannot play on your own. It's just been a sport like that. There's many other sports you could argue. Well, a lot of sports are like that. If you think about uh, the, the nature of the game, you need a full team in the field to play uh, offensive and defensively in that game. You can be a single batter, but in the field you need multiple people. And so it's just one of those games that, that you can't play by yourself. And a thing in a game like basketball, if they let you, you could dribble up the court and inbound it to yourself if they let you and dribble up the court and shoot and be a ball hog and then play defense with all the guys. But baseball is just one of those games. Anyway, it's complex. That's why I like it and some of you don't. But um, anyway, ultimately what it comes down to often is the pitcher and batter, the matchup between an opposing pitcher and batter. And in our modern era, as it's been in the past, there's phenomenal pitchers, and I could use many examples, but I think of one in Max Scherzer. They call him blue Eye because he's got two different color eyes, and he's just a fierce competitor on the mound, and he strikes a lot of batters out. But I thought of this text in the absurdity of, what if Max Scherzer thought, I'm just going to go take the field myself? What about the absurdity of that in the game, where if he just goes to the mound and thinks that he can handle everything defensively? thinks that, well, the pitcher is the most important person in the game. Well, who would he throw to? Who would he go to to get the runner out at first or second or third? And I thought about that illustration that Paul uses, and we can use many, and he uses the body here, but it's just absurd to think that in baseball the pitcher could handle all of it, just like it would be absurd to handle that one person could handle, rather, all the ministry in the church body. Think about outfielders. Now, if anybody... If anybody has ever played Little League Baseball, you know that right fielders, if you've ever gotten assigned to right field, there's a reason your coach did that. But what if people in right field who are like trying to catch butterflies wondering why why can't I be the pitcher? They get all the glory. They're the one that's throwing the ball all the time. And that's what every kid in Little League wanted to be. I coach baseball, so I have almost every kid in my team that I've ever coached said, hey coach, I want to be the pitcher. I'm like, well little Tommy, you can't throw the ball. Well, I want to be the pitcher. Well, okay, we'll see about that. And so that's how it goes. But what if all the other people on the, the team wanted to be the other guy? Think about the absurdity of that. That is true in the body of Christ, and it's just, I can't impart this enough. This happens all the time. Many of you come into this place and think, man, I wish I was just that person, or I wish I had that gift. And I see that gift, like, thrive in that person, and I just wish God would have given me that. On the contrary, there's people that that we oftentimes can be victim of, as saying like, "I think I have the most important gift here, and I don't really need other people," or I just kind of treat this whole church body experience independently of others. But God didn't do it that way. He made a diverse body with many parts, many gifts, many functions to achieve one purpose. You see, I love how Chuck Swindoll says this. uh, Says it. He says God didn't create bodies to have one function. We have an all-wise, all-powerful God who creates beauty, symmetry, and harmony in His creation. If you think about the way that, that He made animals and plants and flowers and lands and all of this creation, you know that we have a pretty creative God. And He does that within the body of Christ. And so this morning I want to navigate through this text and I want to do it by way of these four points that we would know them very well and very clearly. The first is this, that we need each other. The second, that we differ from each other. The third, that we are to care for each other. And the fourth, we belong to Christ and each other. I believe you see these four things really, really clearly through this text, but they are really important that we understand, related to the spiritual gifts, but our part as a body of Christ, that we need each other, we differ from each other, we are to care for one another, each other, or ra- rather, or we, and then we belong to Christ and each other. The first one, we need each other. And this is what you see Paul enters into this analogy, this metaphor uh, of the body in verses 14 through 16, and then in, in verse 21. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, and not belong to the body, that I would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that I would not make it any less part of the body. And then skip down to Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. This is as we read this, and some of us have read this many times, this this metaphor, and it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But practically, how do we live that out? You see, there's two sides of this coin. Verses 15 and 16 touch on the wrong kind of independence from thinking that one particular member is not needed or unimportant in the body. Or even, as I said, resentment that they were not made like another. And then verse 21 speaks of that kind of arrogant independence that's based on feeling superior. Going back to the baseball illustration, if we thought the only important person on the team is the pitcher, and a lot of baseball teams spend a lot of money on pitchers, but if that's how you think in the body of Christ, Paul's saying you're misguided, and the Corinthian church struggled with this because as they were elevating themselves in knowledge and a culture filled with knowledge so were they elevating themselves over their miraculous gifts. And look at us. We can speak in tongues, and we can we can go heal, and we can do miracles, and all of these things. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Like you cannot think either side of this. There are simple illustrations, but they happen all in the church. There are many here who do not think we need each other. And I've tried to hit that home last week, that when we come to this gathering, this fellowship, you cannot come in here as we often do with an attitude of, this is for me or about me. And most of us wouldn't be that blatant to say that. Most of us wouldn't say, I'm going to church for me. But the way that we act often is, I'm going to be fed. I'm going in there to be served. I'm going in there for my preference. And and Paul is saying, we need each other. Like, you don't understand how this works. Some come into this place not thinking that, on the other side, that you are needed or have anything to bring. What can I bring to the table? Some wish, as many have, that we were different, or as I said, maybe other gifts and abilities that you see in the body were yours and you wish you had them. Some of us think we're doing just fine on our own, but Paul urges us to long for something greater. He wants them all to celebrate their unique giftedness for the glory of Christ and wants them to know that you actually need each other to do life in the body of Christ. That's how the design was intended. You see, God always gives the manual, if you will, through the scriptures, the manual of how things work in the world. And he says, this is how I've created the church as a people. This is what I've done in giving my spirit out so all of you exist together, which means that you're going to have to figure that out, how to do that, and here's how you do that through all these fruit of the spirit, through love and patience, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what you do with each other. That means you'll have to forgive. That means you'll have to go on with each other. That means you'll have to bear each other's burdens. That means all of this stuff, you do it together. If we're together, the body of Christ, we need each other, not only for the health of the body as a whole, but also to enable each individual to operate at full potential. Think about that. You might read this text and say, well, I get what you're saying. So I have to be like a hand or an eye, and that's how the whole body functions. But, like, that's how the whole thing's going to work. It's also, you're only going to be a good hand or eye or ear if you understand how the body works. Like some of us don't increase to our full potential because we don't understand that God has gifted us uniquely to go and serve individually. You see that in this text too. You see the body as a whole, but you also see that we are individuals. We are unique in that. Some of us are not mouths. Some of you, it's probably a good thing your mom would say, it's good that you're not a mouth, like, right? But some of us don't have the gift of prophecy or teaching. Some of us are not ears. You don't have the gift of mercy and compassion, maybe listening to one another. Some of us aren't hands. You, you aren't a server. But some of you are eyes. You see things that others don't. Some of you are brains. You know how to organize and administrate and count to like a hundred and past that. That's amazing. Some of you are kidneys. You filter bad stuff. You can discern falsehood. You're needed in the body. And those are just a few examples Examples I give of just linking that metaphor to some of the gifts mentioned. But any Christian who operates independently from others, as we touched on last week, is reducing. You're actually reducing your own effectiveness in that body as a whole. Did you think about that? Like it's almost just kind of like counterintuitive to think about. People that come in kind of with a lone ranger mentality of the church, like in their mind, and if you're doing that in your mind, you think that you're actually doing a good thing by like feeding yourself and showing up when actually you're doing the most harmful thing to not just the body, but to you. Like to not understand how this all fits together. And then some just don't think you even have a way to fit in here. And here's what I'd say about that. I'd say two things. One by confession is that I think we don't do a good enough job in recognizing the gifts of all people. And so I'm just going to say as a pastor and by way of confession, if you feel like that, that's in large part on your leaders. Um, that's a large part on me that, that we haven't created a space or gifted training uh, trainingness for the giftednesses to come out in you to be used. And, and that doesn't mean that we create a bunch of other ministries, but that, that needs to be known, and that's why we're doing this. We're stepping into ways that people could come in. And the other thing I would say about this is that don't believe that lie that you don't have stuff to offer. So many people in the church are deceived by Satan's lie that says, you know, because you don't have this, you're not going to be as effective. Or because you don't look like this or have this ability, then you can't do. And so don't believe that lie. So one, we're creating ways, and hopefully through this series, for you to get involved and more invested in the body with your giftedness. And and second, just don't believe what, what Satan's throwing at you. So we need each other. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. We differ from one another. And boy, do we differ from one another. Don't look at your neighbor and say that. But they're different than you. Verses 17 through 20. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, listen to this. The first time this is going to be said, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And also, uh, you see that reference in verse 28 in the gifts list, and God has appointed in the church, and then first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, miracles, get to, on and on and on. The point Paul is saying is that God has chosen to do this His way, and all of us are different. And only in functional diversity can a unified body have ongoing health and genuine growth. You know, I... I many of us know what this is. I should have had one up on stage for an illustration, but you know what a shape sorter is, right? And and most of us learn shapes and plugging things in, and it is true in most churches that there are many round pegs and square holes, practically in ministry. Some of us serve in ministries where we don't belong in, and that's true of all church history. People have served in ways that they've needed to, do, and that's and for seasons I'll say this, sometimes that needs to happen, but there's been times where people serve in ministry in ways they just don't belong there. And and they're like a round peg in a square hole. They become jammed. Equally, there are many square pegs in round holes. That's the reverse of that. They are too big to belong or too small to fill the need. And that happens too. People that, that just were not wired for a particular ministry and they've done it, maybe at first, maybe out of uh, just a need, but maybe they've grown into this niche, and they've just been joyless. I mean, we could use example after example of, of somebody that's taught tw- like 23 years of Sunday school, not here, but I know a story of a woman in our church body growing up, and it turns out she wasn't a good teacher, and she didn't even like kids. And I think they always have friction and problems, and... Like, how does that even happen? And even still, there are some pegs, often many, trying to fill several holes all at once. This happens in the body all the time, right? Like, there's so many needs, and I'll just try to insert myself into all those needs. And you know what that leads to is many other shapes lying around not being used at all. And so I recognize that that happens in the body of Christ. People are gifted by God and so many people try to fill all the needs that there's all these other people that whether they are not known about their gifting or whether you feel useless in whatever that is, you're just not being used in the life of the church. And that's something that I hope that we can get better at as we go. You know, it's Romans 12:6 here in play is, is a command, an attitude. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So Paul's writing there too. There's different gifts, but then the command comes, "Let us use them." So if you wonder why are we studying spiritual gifts? Why are we taking Sunday school hour to learn about that? It's because of that. If we're to know about these, 1 Corinthians 12:1, right? Like I don't want you to be ignorant about them. And then Paul says in Romans 12, "Use them." You have to use them. So we ought to know about them. The community which is alive to the spirit is committed by scripture to the costly struggle of living out the reconciliation of all men one to another in in the family of god as i said last week we're diverse uniting black and white jew and gentile young and old male and female single and married rich and poor it's the body we're different but we're one we just started going through the different gifts this morning in our sunday school hour but again we ought not to see them just as a confined list like if i don't have a gift on that list. I'm missing something. You can't look at that in that way. There are so many different gifts that all of us can bring and been given by God. But the fact remains, we need each other and we differ from one another. The third point is we are to care for each other. Look at verses 22 through 26. And this is, I don't want to say the most important one, but it's certainly important to what we're talking about here today. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Emphasis on verse 25. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice. Together, you see, this is the second time Paul mentioned that God composed. First, he said that God arranged, and then he said God composed, and then he's going to go on to say that God appointed. So God has done these things for His sovereign purposes, and He's adjusted or composed the body. The Greek word here is synerka, synerkason, has the basic meaning of mixing parts together, mixing parts together with specific purpose in mind. We could liken this to music. If you like music, different notes and instruments, composing a piece that brings it together like one beautiful thing. And I'm always fascinated when I go um, to the orchestra concerts or the band concerts at any level, really, of how, how all these parts make shape, especially because I've had kids that have played instruments in my house and you're listening to it on its own and going, okay. <laughs> and then when you are asking about it, well, that's just a different part. Oh, oh, good. And thankfully in my house, my kids picked, like, goodness gracious, my kids picked the violin, the clarinet, and the flute. Flute's probably the best. The other two are just like, if you hit a bad note on that deal, you'll lose sleep at night forever. But anyways, this is the second time Paul writes about this, God arranging it and composing it in a way that, like, here are all these parts coming together, and you know when you listen to music, when all those parts come together in the perfect way, it's beautiful. And Paul is saying and that's much like what God desires in the church is when all the notes are hit and when all the instruments are played correctly, this is what the body looks like. And if you've ever been to a concert like that, professional level, like like amazing musicians, you just are in awe. Like, how does that even work like that? And that's what Paul desires in the body. And so he underlines this by how we pay attention and care for all the individual members and parts of the body. It's not just enough to know that you need each other, right? You actually have to go and care for one another. That's why we use our gifts to strengthen the faith of others. And so he talks about this less presentable parts and more presentable parts, and what's all that about? There are time, We can relate to this. Just like in our body, there's, there's, there's a, a diversity there, and, and Paul is talking about weaker and brothers sisters who are struggling with, I don't have all these public gifts. I don't have all these, like, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a, a pastor or a teacher. I'm not somebody that's, like, always in the front. Like, what do I do? And, and the tension in the church was people just, like, stepping over that rather than recognizing that and bringing care and attention to parts that were behind the scenes. There is not often a day that goes by when I walk into this place and I'm thankful. And I've used them often as an example. And just the cleaning team, that this building is clean when I walk in. That doesn't happen overnight. Well, it may. Sometimes they might be here overnight. I don't know. But it just, I don't, I'm not a part of that. And there's not a day that goes by when I go into the restroom or go into the kitchen. I'm like, man, this place is all tidied up because somebody did that. And it's not glorious. It doesn't sound glorious cleaning toilets, but it certainly is necessary. You have to think of the alternative. And you know what I'm talking about when you go to like the state park bathroom, right? You've been there, right? Right? Nobody's cleaning that. Are you guys alive today? (laughs) Or maybe some of you are like, that's your job and I just offended you. I don't know. But we need to help in the body by seeking one another out and actually caring for one another to help others develop. And then there's this rejoicing and weeping with in verse 26. I think of Jesus in John 11, right? And people always go to that, that text and they're like, The the whole story, right? I don't want to unpack the whole thing, but Lazarus is dead. Jesus said he was going to go there. Martha and Mary, like, you could have been here sooner. And he stands there and he just, he knows what he's going to do. He's going to raise him from the dead. But what does he do? The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Such compassion over those who were suffering. He knew he was going to bring forth the power to bring him to life. But I think of that model and the compassion as you read through the stories in the gospels, the narratives of Jesus having compassion, just being sorrowful with those who are sorrowful, rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. There's not a Sunday that goes by that that I know that happens in this building in the course of like three or four hours that people are crying together, praying, people are rejoicing and laughing and celebrating life together it all happens because it's about caring for one another and i want us to think about that sometimes we come into this place and we're so focused on our needs or our ministry when's the last time you stopped and really just asked and many of us do this like how are you i know we always say i'm good no no no. like how are you doing how can i pray for you how can i care for you and that's the body that grows deeper together We are to care for one another. When someone hurts, we're to recognize that. When somebody feels marginalized, we're to recognize that. When somebody feels like they don't have giftedness, we're to go alongside them and encourage and find opportunity for that. And when one rejoices, we're to recognize that, not in a prideful, arrogant way, but one in a way that we can celebrate with that person. Think about an injury to the body, just by way of entertaining my my calf muscle injury this week, right? Because that's what I'm a preacher and that's what I get to do. But my my whole body didn't feel like my calf muscle. When you pull a muscle, and I had it, like I could just feel it, it didn't, my whole body didn't feel like that, all right? It just, it, there was very targeted pain. And all the other parts knew what they wanted to do, but couldn't do because of that. But it couldn't be ignored. In fact, I had to take time over the week to, like, work it out. And we have this massager thing, and I didn't go sit in John's chair. That would have been a better um, thing. Yeah, you're like, What? But we work this, you have to pay attention to it. And some of us in the body, we could do better at that. I could do better of paying attention to individual needs and going towards that person that you know is struggling over something and paying individual attention. It has to be paid attention to. And you know what? When healing comes, the body rejoices. When spiritual healing comes in people, the body rejoices. By the work of the Holy Spirit, listen to this, an otherwise disunited gathering of selfish human beings. Can we just be honest? That's who we are when we come into this place. By the work of the Holy Spirit, that disunited gathering of very selfish human beings can overcome their fleshly desires and unite through humility and love. That's the gospel, transforming a people of God. So we are to care for one another. And the last thing is we belong to Christ and each other verses 27 through 31. Now you are the body of Christ. You belong to him, right? And individually members of it. And God has appointed in church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in all various kinds of tongues. And then Paul asks these rhetorical questions. which all resounded? No. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? These are my inserts. No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Paul's answering, not everybody's wired the same. God has chosen to arrange a a point and compose the way he wanted to, and we have to recognize that. But we belong ultimately to Christ and to each other. As I said, the Corinthians had a problem. They thought that those who had miraculous gifts were superior as we'll learn and i'm not going to touch on this right now the higher gifts and the next week we're of course looking at 1 Corinthians 13 on love but they they thought they were better and so paul's saying no like not everybody has the same gift which by just as a side note churches that believe you aren't saved if you don't have the ability of, of the gift of speaking in tongues just by that those questions you can already know that that doctrine isn't true right because paul's saying not everybody has those, they're all rhetorical let me go back to where we started as I'm going to wrap this up at Romans 12. As we were called to worship this morning, Romans 12, 1 through 8 again. I'm just going to read it for us because I think, I think it's important. Paul's writing this too and he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not ought to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has designed for As When one body, we have many members, members do not have the same function. He continues on with the gift list. Interesting that we often separate the first two verses of that out, right? We don't often associate those with as spiritual gifts. Those are the famous Romans 1 1 and 2. Many of us know those, but we didn't read 3 through 8, or maybe we know about it. But we separate those out. But the context in which Paul is writing, remember, is spiritual gifts. He says, put yourself out there as a living sacrifice. He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present yourself. Holy and acceptable. Think about that in light of the response in light of responding responding to the gospel of grace. Think about that, of how I go in the light of the gospel. God has saved me and redeemed me by the blood of Christ. And that is what he has done. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we recognize our sin and shame has been covered by his blood. And we can only be holy and acceptable to God through the blood of Jesus Christ and his perfect life and death. That's the only way, our faith in him. And it's our spiritual worship, the translation of that spiritual worship is actually rational service, is taken to be meant in the context of the body of Christ. So many of us look at Romans 1, 12, 1 and 2 and say, yeah, like, this is what I do when I spend time alone with God. It's taken in the context of the body of Christ. Put myself out there in rational service. And here's where I think verse 2 is best understood related to this. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? Self-exaltation. Self-sufficiency. Selfish pride. That's the pattern of our world. Just look at Hollywood or, or sports moguls or you name it. They are all about me, number one, numero uno. And that's the pattern. And Paul says, don't conform to that. To retract in isolation and disregard community. That's a pattern. Usually that's the response. Not to run towards people but to run away from, from them and figure it out on your own. Self-preservation, right? Think about, I, I, I've said this before, Like, there's like two of the hardest things to say in life. I'm sorry and I need help. And we're just not trained to do that. We, we don't want to be sorry and we don't want help. I'm the captain of my soul, the master of my fate. That's the problem in the body. There are too many captains, too many heads. And what Paul is saying is Christ, in all the texts, Christ reserves the sole right to be the head of the body. And that's what lordship is. When you submit to Jesus in that way, he is the Lord over all. And Paul goes on to say they'll be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. We need a reset in the way that we think about the body of Christ in our culture. I don't come here for me. I come here for Christ and each other. That by testing, it says, you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is the will of God? You see, we look for specific answers all the time to details, but the Bible speaks larger than that. God desires first and foremost for us to be walking daily with Christ and living in community with one another. It's pretty simple. Think about how much time and effort and prayer we give to the details about where we work, where we live, and those aren't unimportant. I want to be clear about that. But if you know Christ, it doesn't matter where you live or what your career is. What matters is if you are living a holy and acceptable, servant-hearted disciple's life. That's all that matters. It truly is. You are not your own, 1 Corinthians 6:19 19-20. What does it say? You were bought with a price. I think it says that. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. How can we read that and just say, I'm going to do what I want to today? Jesus Christ, by his blood, purchased us, which means we don't get to do what we want. We belong to Christ. And friends, that is not a burden. That is a joy. What a privilege, what a wonder, what a glory, that he is the captain of our soul, the master of our faith. This is why we can look to Ephesians 4:15 and 16 when it says it this way rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself and up up in love do you know how the body stays together it's not by us it's by jesus Faithful obedience to Christ, it's by Him holding all things together. And praise God that He does that because we would screw it up all the time. And sometimes we try. But Jesus Christ is holding His church together in love. And friends, as I close, He wants to be the master of your soul and captain of your fate. And how can you do that? You can repent of the pattern of selfishness in your life. And you can believe, have faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's what he said in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Repent and believe the kingdom of heaven. And it's not just near, it's present now, and Jesus is coming back. And the question is, will we be found as a church that is holy and acceptable? The only way that we can be is if we're covered in the blood, transformed and renewed by grace, walking in obedience by his Spirit. Which is Paul says at the end, I'll show you a more, excellent way, which we'll talk about next week. We are in great need of each other. We are in very much obvious ways different. We are to care for one another, and we belong to Christ and each other. Let's pray. Philippians 4, 8, and 9 says this as we leave today. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if, if there is any excellence, if there is any thing worthy of praise. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Have a blessed day. Go in peace. You are sent.